Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The FT. Welcome to the FT Big Read a weekly podcast featuring the best of our long-form reporting from around the world. I'm Anna Dedder from the Comment and Analysis Desk of the Financial Times. In this podcast, Leo Lewis looks at the gender gap in Japan's workforce. The country has one of the best educated and most underused female populations in the developed world. Shinzo Abe is trumpeting legislation designed to encourage more women into work, but critics say there needs to be sweeping corporate cultural change to create new jobs and boost growth. Now Leo reports from Tokyo on Japan's squandered asset. To Japanese mothers in search of enlightenment, Amazon.co.jp offers 138 different books on kyanaben, the intricate art of sculpting a child's packed lunch to look like a cartoon character. In them, mistresses of the craft provide tips on making Super Mario's hair from dried seaweed or how a lotus root can be etched into the face of Hello Kitty. A recent blog on the virtues of kyanaben making, which appeared on a government website, ignited a proxy debate on motherhood, gender equality and Japan's economic prospects if it continues to squander one of the best educated and most underused female populations in the developed world. Lunchbox one-upmanship, say some, invites the children of housewives to sneer at the offspring of working women who often have to battle miserably in workplaces that institutionalise inequality. Japanese society, traditionalists snarl back, has thrived for millennia by cherishing the devoted motherhood that not only makes a potato croquette look like Minnie Mouse, but guides its children towards world-beating accomplishments in maths and literacy. Superficially, Japan's numbers do not look so bad. Across the OECD, its 66% female participation rate in 2014 was higher than in Italy, but trailed the likes of the UK, US and Germany. It is also moving in the right direction, up from 63.1% just five years ago. More critically, Japan's female participation rate contrasts with a male one that is almost the highest in the world at 84.9%. The problem is the size of that gap, with some claiming that unless it is addressed, Japan's economy, the third largest in the world, will continue to struggle. The issue has been placed front and centre as part of Shinzo Abe's programme of fiscal and monetary policy designed to drag the economy out of stagnation. Encouraging more women to enter the workforce was identified as one of the Prime Minister's arrows of Japanese growth. Nearly one million women have joined the labour force in the past couple of years. But Kathy Matsui, Chief Japan Strategist at Goldman Sachs, says the Abe government, elected in December 2012, has been lucky with its timing. The statistics show hundreds of thousands of new jobs under Abenomics, but many of these are part-time. Women are feeding an economic need because Japan is running out of bodies, she says. The challenge is not just to create greater opportunities for women, argue critics, but to fundamentally change Japanese workplaces, which often have the longest working hours and are among the least productive in the developed world. Millions of young unmarried women, desperate for corporate Japan to offer them better opportunities, are closely following this battle between tradition and the rising demands of working women who fear career deadlock. 
In theory, the passage of a female empowerment bill in Parliament this week should speed up the transformation. Companies with more than 300 employees would be pressed to hire and promote more women, but it is not compulsory and there will be no formal punishment for those that fail to meet the targets, weaknesses that have led some to suggest it is little more than window dressing. If this law passes, it will be a bittersweet moment for women like me, says Noriko Takeda, a former trading company employee who describes herself as one of the silently enraged victims of Japan's misogyny. Actually, a lot more bitter than sweet. This law has come sickeningly, embarrassingly late in the day. Definitely too late for me, and I'm not yet 40. It would be great if it helps the next generation of women succeed, but if it fails, it just sets everything back. Mr Abe, an arch-conservative in most other areas of public debate, has set the country a loose target of 30% female leadership representation in various fields of Japanese society by the time Tokyo hosts the Olympics in 2020. But it looks ambitious. In 2013, Japan had just 8% female representation in Parliament's lower house. Germany's was 37% in the same year. The female manager ratio, which stood at just 10.6% in 2011, is far below the UK, which has itself been criticised at 35.7% in that same year. After Ms Takeda graduated with a law degree from Japan's top private university, Keio, she applied at a trading company, but was told she would only be allowed to enter the clerical stream of female graduates destined for secretarial work. Most of the male graduates, meanwhile, were primed for management positions. Until I was in my final year of university, Japan seemed fair. Then I started applying for jobs, and it hit me how completely they destroy your chances. I did best out of everyone on the language test, and they gave these jobs to boys who couldn't get an English sentence out. One of the questions they asked at interview was, are you planning to have a baby? That would be illegal in a lot of countries, says Ms Takeda. Mr Abe is busily trying to convince the public that the country has entered a new era. His decision to identify so-called womenomics as one of the keys to securing growth is forcing him to take on some of the country's vested interests. Although some economists insist that given the sluggishness of other growth policies, he has little choice. Some even question the sincerity of the Abe campaign. His ruling Conservative Liberal Democratic Party has been in power for 55 of the last 60 years and could have addressed this earlier. Historically, political scientists argue, every time one part of the LDP leadership attempts to use the word equality, another, more reactionary element pushes for its use to stop. But Haruko Arimura, Mr Abe's Minister for Women's Empowerment, says there is growing momentum and describes the new law as testament to the government's sense of urgency on the issue. The Liberal Democratic Party used to be the defender of the housewife. Now it is sticking up for working women. In the past, female empowerment used to be an issue of moral and human rights. Now it has become a key strategy in the Abenomics growth programme, says Ms. Arimura. Goldman Sachs estimates that the effect of closing Japan's gender employment gap, raising the female participation rate to 80%, could potentially boost the country's output by 13%. Those who question the government's commitment point to a corporate world where maternity harassment, when women are hounded out of their jobs once they become pregnant, is so common it is abbreviated to matahara. However, the Keidanren... Japan's main business lobby group, has supported the reform calls and encouraged its more than 1,300 member companies to appoint more female board members. Even if filling more board roles takes longer than expected, simple demographics suggest that corporate Japan will be forced to hire and promote more women. With a shrinking population, whose proportion of elderly people were hit 40% by 2060, some accuse Mr Abe of claiming credit for a trend that would have happened anyway. Nicholas Smith, a strategist at CLSA, also notes that in Japan, labour participation rates for women rise during times of recession as they step in to supplement household income. 
it is not the only place demographics and womenomics overlap. Others argue that Japan's chronically low birth rate, now just 1.4 children per woman of childbearing age, is the clearest symptom of the constraints experienced by millions of women. Women look at this situation and decide that they cannot have babies even if they want them, says Mari Miura, a political scientist at Tokyo's Sophia University. I don't think that the Japanese government has ever sensibly analysed the low birth rate beyond declaring that it is low because young women are just selfish. Professor Miura says the problem is more fundamental. The inability of corporate Japan to evaluate the work of men or women by any measure other than hours worked and seniority. A growing band of optimists, however, believe the country has reached an inflection point. With the tailwind of Vabonomics and a labour market tightened by the shrinking population, Japan's ratio of applicants to jobs has risen to 1 to 1.19. That number is the key to womenomics, says Miyuki Kashima, head of investment at BNY Mellon in Tokyo. At 1.19, if a company treats you badly, you go elsewhere. Companies will change their behaviour to reflect that. Over 50% of companies that wanted to hire new graduates didn't fill their places this year. The miserable promotion prospects for women and the absence of role models beyond what Ms. Kashima says is a handful of female chief executives mean that Japanese women have spent years telling themselves that they do not want senior roles as a form of self-protection. Ms. Arimura is careful in making repeated references to the need for both working women and housewives to be proud of their choice. We must aim to create a society where women do not feel guilty for their choice not to work and those who do work do not feel guilty leaving their children in childcare, she says. Government surveys indicate that 30% of young women actively want to be housewives. We need to respect their choice, she says. The minister is keen to navigate the politics of the debate to prevent them becoming too divisive. Particularly fraught is where the womenomics debate overlaps with one on increased immigration, a sensitive issue for the Abe government. Asked whether Japan's women might be helped back into work by an influx of migrants to work as nannies or nurses, Ms. Arimura declares that the idea is not a panacea. The changes facing Japanese men and the country's companies, she says, are every bit as significant as the shifts required of female workers. National survival, as some frame the womenomics debate, will depend on a brutal admission of Japan's level of gender inequality. Yawning gender pay gaps, Japan has the third highest in the OECD, persist, as do tax distortions that discourage married women from working. Hardest to shift will be the tendency to evaluate workers by hours toiled, loyalty and age. People become what you measure, says Ms. Arimura. For women to be empowered, we have to change how we measure work. It must be about productivity, not hours. Bosses must be judged on how they help their staff achieve a work-life balance. Not all agree with that. Reika Omura, a mother of two who was cajoled into quitting her job at a credit card company three years ago and now works in a Yokohama petrol station, says the changes required are even simpler. They're trying to sound scientific when they talk about measuring work, she says. Basically, the problem for women in Japan is that all the men and too many of the women think that women are flowers, decorative, when really we are trees with which things can be built. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.